Look today, as I said, as at Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. And then we're going to flip over to the Gospel of Luke and look at chapter 9 verse 51. So I'll let you stretch your legs one more time as we honor God's Word together. Let's look at these two verses and we'll see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Isaiah 50 verse 7, we'll start there. The prophet Isaiah writes these words, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. This is the verse that I want you to focus in on from this passage. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Flip over to Luke chapter 9 in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to see as we read about Jesus who is being prophesied about in Isaiah 50. I want you to see what it says of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in verse, chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for Him, that is Jesus, to be received up, that He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem. Lord, help us today to hear from You, to see Your Word Clearly and plainly, Lord, give me the anointing I need to preach it. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease in everything that we do here today. You would be preeminent and receive all the glory. And we praise your name again. In that mighty name, above all names we praise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There was, I don't, I don't want to show my age or ask you to show yours, but some of us in this room may have remembered the 1992 Summer Olympics. There was a lot of amazing things that happened in those Olympic Games. But one thing has stood out in my mind. I saw it when it happened. I see it. A lot of times on social media, people will bring it up and rehash it. I think we have a picture. I don't know if the screens are cooperating today. Does that picture remind you of anything? Have you ever seen that before? The gentleman's name is Derek Redmond. He was a sprinter, a world-class sprinter for Great Britain. He had already won several medals, both outside of the Olympics and I believe even some in the Olympics. And he was in this race, can't remember specifically which one it was, I think it was the 400 uh, meter relay. But regardless, as he was coming around the turn, his hamstring snapped. And he fell on the ground in, in obvious agony. And he got up and he was trying his best to get to the finish line. And he was just really struggling. And then all of a sudden, out of the stands comes his dad. And his dad grabs him. If you get a chance, just watch. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. His dad picks him up and they're telling his dad, you can't be on the track. Come on. If you're a dad, that's your son. It's going to take the whole military to drag you off the track at that point and so they let him go and Derek Redmond and his father finished that race together they made it around the track together I wanted to show that picture and I wanted to give that example today because the title of my message is divine determination notice the word divine because anything that we do for the Lord Jesus in the spiritual realm is going to require his strength Human beings can do some amazing feats and have done some amazing feats in life. But anything that we attempt to do for the Lord Jesus has got to be done in His power and His strength. Or else we will not be able to accomplish it. And today is Palm Sunday. I'm sure most of you know that. And this begins what's known as Passion Week. So throughout the week, 
we get accounts in the gospel of what was going on in the life of Jesus and his disciples as he drew nearer and nearer to the cross. And the reason why I read these verses to you today was because, number one, I felt that the Lord had placed them on my heart this week as I had prayed and prepared to, to bring the message for Palm Sunday. But I think about the fact that, and we talked about it again, it's always amazing to me how I don't study the Sunday school lessons in advance just because if I do it too early in the week, by Sunday I've forgotten it, and then I have to go back and read it anyway, so I usually wait till Saturday night or even Sunday morning to study it really in depth. And it's amazing how the messages and the Sunday school lesson almost always seem to just go together. God orchestrates that so perfectly together. And so we talked about it in Sunday school that Jesus Christ came for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to go to that cross. To lay down His life for the sins of you and I. And it's amazing to me to see Him walk in such obedience. Walk in such a willingness for people like you and me that wanted nothing to do with Him. Because I'm going to go out on a limb and say that not one single person in this room was born a believer. You were born again and made a believer, but until you by faith received Jesus Christ, you were an enemy of God. You had nothing to do with Him. You rejected Him. Or you might have went to church and been real moral and religious. You might have cleaned up nice. We can do those things on the outside, but our hearts were dark apart from Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes with a specific purpose, and He fulfilled that perfectly. I want to read to you a couple of verses this morning as we get started. The first is Luke chapter 19, verses 37 and 38. Listen to what Luke writes there. It says, Then, as He was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So here comes Jesus. He's making His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And all of the Jews and the disciples and all of the people who at least to some degree maybe believe that this guy might in fact be the Messiah. He might be the one that we've been waiting for, they are excited. And they are rejoicing. And they have absolutely no idea what He is really going to do. They completely, Phyllis, missed the boat. They thought that this Messiah was going to come and perhaps that this Jesus was the one and He was going to march through the gate into Jerusalem overthrow the Roman soldiers, establish His kingdom on earth right then, restore proper worship and government to Jerusalem, and they would once again have their own land and be at peace forevermore. It didn't take long for them to figure out that was not what Jesus was doing. And it wouldn't take very long for all the folks that celebrated to turn their back on Him. Very quickly. That was what was going on with the people's hearts. But what was going on in Jesus' heart as He set His face as a flint and turned His face towards Jerusalem? In Zechariah 9.9, we see the prophecy that Jesus was going to enter into Jerusalem and fulfill this on Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. 
He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. They're crying out, Hosanna. They are literally seeing this prophecy play out in front of their eyes. Jesus is fulfilling the things that the prophet had promised He would do. Hosanna means save us. And that's what He was coming to do. But not from earthly oppressors. He was coming to save them from their sin. And they didn't see it. And we don't see it today for many people. They think Jesus is, if they think He was real at all, they think He was some great teacher. They think He gave some good moral arguments. They think He may be one God among many. But few people see Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And until you see Him as that Jesus, you don't recognize Him as the true Jesus of Scripture. We have got to see Him for who He is, who His inspired, infallible, inerrant Word says He is. The sinless Savior was Jesus. He sets His face. He is determined to do exactly what the Father had called Him to do. And the disciples missed it, and I don't want you to miss it this morning. Why did Jesus come? Why did He do what He did? Listen, listen to what, again, Luke writes in Luke 18, verses 31-33. through 33. He took the twelve aside. I love how Jesus dealt with these people. Because they were just like us. They didn't get it right most of the time. They sinned constantly, even as His followers. And sometimes the worst thing we do as Christians is pretend we have it all together when everybody knows that you don't. When you come in here, we're not asking you to act like you got it all figured out. We're asking you to be genuine about where you're at. If you're a struggling mess this morning, you've come to the right place. But don't pretend that everything's good and take all your mess and go back out there. You've missed the point. You go to the hospital, get treated and get better. You don't go up there just to sit in the waiting room for an hour unless you've got real problems. You don't just want to sit up there for an hour and then leave and go home and stay sick, do you? Well, you don't come here with all your sins and all your struggles and then tote them back out of here and say, well, that was a good message. I'll have to try to fix myself. That's not the point. You need grace. And you need help. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Word of God. You need fellowship. You need prayer. You need all the things that Jesus has left for His people. So don't ever pretend. He takes these twelve aside, it says in Luke 18. He says, listen, He tells them. I read to you in verse 19, which is after 18. I went to Hamilton High, but I still know that. Verse 19 is after 18. And He just had told them a chapter before what He was going to be doing. He said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for He will be delivered to the Gentiles, He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon, they will scourge Him and kill Him, and the third day He will rise again. That's pretty plain. And a chapter later, they're saying, here comes Jesus, He's going to throw over the Romans, and we're going to celebrate and have a good old time. I don't know where the disconnect was between what He said in that verse and what He said in chapter 19. But they got it all twisted and mixed up. And we don't want to do that today. We want to get it right. So Jesus is determined. He is dedicated. He's going to fulfill this mission. And I believe that we see in this example a calling for us to follow as well. This isn't just about what Jesus did. It's about what He enables us to do as followers of Him. Okay? So let's look at three things together in our text today. Number one, Jesus 
set his face toward Jerusalem. Write this down as a number one, an act of submission. Jesus submitted himself to someone outside of himself. You say, what, what does that mean, Pastor? What are you talking about? John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. Listen to what it says there. Jesus is speaking, if you know the story, He had just fed the people with the loaves and the fishes. He fed 5,000 plus women and children, so probably close to 12, 13,000 people in total. And He fed them miraculously. And now they're following Him around. He, he crossed over the sea. They come looking for Him. Not because they want Jesus. They want more food. They want more miracles. And so He is trying to speak to them about their souls. Because ultimately, Jesus is not primarily concerned with the physical well-being of people. He is. But ultimately, it's much greater than that. What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Right? Jesus doesn't want to just feed you and provide for you physically. He wants to take you much deeper into the eternal realm, the spiritual realm, which is where the root of the problem for us is. And so he says to them in John 6, verse 38 through 40, I have come down from heaven. Now he's going to tell us why. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He submitted to what the Father had planned from eternity past for Him. He submitted to be that sinless sacrifice. Way back in the book of Genesis, when the first parents fell, God promised that He would send through the seed of a woman a Savior. And that Savior was Jesus Christ. I have come not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Listen, if we're wondering what that is, He makes it clear. Look at the next verse. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all He has given me, I should lose how many? If you're saved today, and you're worried about losing your salvation, either Jesus is a liar or you're secure. Amen? Listen. Hey, I... I'm just reading you from the book. That's what it says. Now, I can't look into your heart and guarantee you that you got what you say you got. But if you really are saved, blood-bought, born again, sealed by the Holy Spirit, kept in His hand, Jesus promised that every single one of you that are truly His are going to make it. Based on the authority of the Word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ. He says... All that He has given me, I will lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. You're either going to stand before God and give an account for your sins, or you're going to stand before God and be forgiven because Jesus took your sins upon Himself. That's the only two options. And that's what he's talking about in these verses. Because a lot of people will take verse 39 out of context and say, well see, God gave some people to Jesus to be saved and other people He, he chose to go to hell. Is that what the Bible is teaching here? I don't believe so, believe so because verse 40 tells us exactly what the context of the verse is. He says, next, and this is the will of Him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and does what? Does what? Believes. Believes. That's the only thing that is necessary for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith. You don't work your way to heaven. You don't buy your way into heaven. 
You don't wish your way into heaven. You don't make it through church membership and water baptism. You make it through faith alone in Christ Jesus. That is the only way. He says everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. It's a promise. In these verses is a promise that Jesus Christ fulfilled the perfect will of the Father and that was to secure and save everyone who comes to Him by faith and He will lose not one of them. That was the mission and that was the promise that Jesus gave. And I'm thankful today that Jesus never acted and never does act independently of the Trinity. He cooperates with the Father. He cooperated with the, with the Spirit. And He Himself was the perfect, submissive Son of God. Let me give you another verse. John 4.34. Look at this verse. Jesus said to them, My food or my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me. Notice the second part of this verse. And to finish whose work? Whose work? The Father. You see? He didn't act independently. He didn't come here and say, well, now that I'm here, I've got a great plan that I've put together for my life. And I'm going to try my best to live it out. He had His orders already given to Him. The question was, would He submit to that? Or would He deviate from that? And we talked about this in Sunday school. I believe that the chief goal of the enemy was not necessarily to see Jesus die because He was going to die. The question was, was He going to die the sinless Son of God? Or would He reject the Father's plan? Would He go out on His own limb and do it His own way and become sinful Himself? And by doing that, He would no longer be able to be the sacrifice that you and I needed. You see, if the devil could make Jesus fall, whether that was in the temptation, in the 40 days in the wilderness, or throughout His ministry, Satan knew if there was one sin on Jesus that He couldn't pay for mine. If there was one sin on Jesus, He couldn't pay for yours. And by causing Jesus to fall, if He could have, we would have had no hope. That's far greater than the devil just killing Him physically. If He could have plunged the entire world into condemnation. But Jesus is determined. He didn't act outside of the will of the Father. And better than that, not only did He never deviate, He was determined, but He also did it willingly. Again, we talked about this in Sunday school. It's one thing if the Father forced Him to go to the cross. It was one thing if He had no choice about what He was going to do. But can you imagine the depth of the love of Jesus Christ for you? That He would willingly lay down His life when you wanted nothing to do with Him. In all of your sin and all your rebellions, when you would go out and live for the world, and maybe you're still doing that today, and yet Jesus loves you enough to willingly go to the cross. John 10, verse 18. Jesus says this, No one... This is from the New American Standard Version. I don't always use that, but I like how it brings it out in this verse. It says, No one, speaking of his life, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from who? There you go. He's willingly doing this in obedience to, to what the Father had for Him to do. He submitted Himself for people that would hate Him, 
What did He say on the cross as they're mocking Him and spitting on Him, placing the crown of thorns on His head and beating Him half to death? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know about you, but there is no way on earth that a mere human being could endure the things that Jesus endured and respond the way that Jesus responded if He were not the Son of God. There is no way on earth that anyone could love someone to that depth, especially their enemies. And yet here is Jesus, dying for you, dying for me, dying for the ones that crucified Him. Greater love has no man than this. He would lay down His life for His friends. But He laid down His life even for His enemies. He submitted to the Father. And as His followers, we're called to submit as well. Are we willing to submit today, church, to whatever God has for us? I know it's scary. There's a lot of things that God will call you to do in life that aren't easy. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things that God will call you in life to do that are downright impossible for you. If, if all God ever does is calls, call you to do easy and comfortable things, I have a feeling that you're hearing your own voice rather than His. If you've always got an excuse on how you can do things that are within your own ability, who gets the glory for that? You do. It's easy to give $20 if you're a millionaire. It's not so easy to give your last $20 that you have. It's easy to get up in front of people and speak if you do it for a living and you're a public speaker. It's quite intimidating if you're like me and scared to death to stand before people and talk. Over and over and over again, we can give examples of people that are called to step outside of their comfort zone. Will you trust God today? Will you submit to what He's calling you to do? Jesus did, and He is our example. What is God calling you to submit to today? First, you need to submit to Him as your Savior. But then you need to submit to Him in service. If God is dealing with you about something today, maybe it's following Him in obedience and being baptized. If you're a believer today and you've never been baptized, you need to take that step of obedience. Maybe He's calling you to join this church and serve and get plugged into a, a local body, a local assembly, and get involved. And if you are a member of this church, He most definitely has given you a gift and He has a call on your life to do something. You say, I don't know what that is yet. Well, seek it. Seek it. And in the meantime, get involved where you can get involved. But you, you may enter a ministry for a season that's not your lifelong calling, but in the meantime, just get involved. Just serve until He reveals exactly where He wants you to be permanently. Jesus submitted, number two, He set His face towards Jerusalem out of an act of service. Listen to what Mark 10.45 says. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Here is the Son of God. It's amazing enough that He would leave heaven and come to die. But during the time that He's here on earth, He spends it taking care of the lowest of the low. The people that society had rejected. He's touching lepers, which was supposed to make someone unclean. He's having conversations with women, which no Jewish man would do. Samaritan women on top of that. I mean, He is breaking every cultural barrier that is possible. At this time. He's going around serving people. Because he has a servant's heart. And if you're a believer, that is the greatest title that you can ever have. I don't need to have the title of pastor. I want to serve 
in everything that I do. I'm honored to be a pastor. I don't take that calling lightly of being a pastor. But if you voted me out today, my ministry wouldn't end. I can serve Jesus without a title. And so can you. And so should we. All of us. And so, in a world today where so many people are wanting success and wanting fame and, and hoping that their TikTok video or their Snapchat video goes viral so they can get their 15 minutes of fame, in a world that is just dying to be seen and yet so many feel unseen in our world today. Mark 9.35, it says He sat down and He called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. And be what? The servant of all. Jesus said in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great, that's the formula. Get yourself out of the way and take care of other people. And I'm telling you what, you will lay up quite a bit of treasure in heaven when you realize that. But if you chase everything in the world and live for everything in the world, you'll get it. You can have as big a house as you want to have, as new a car as you want to have. Most places will let you work yourself to death and then replace you before your body's in the ground. But if that's what you want to do with your life, you only get one, have at it. But you're going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with this life. And I would much rather hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, than peer down over heaven and see all my stuff that was so important in an auction because your kids don't want your stuff. I got news for you. When you die, and before you die, and you say, look at this hutch with all this china. One day that's going to be yours. That's going on eBay. I'm just letting you know. Or, or it's going in Rumpke. They don't want that stuff. I'm not being mean. It may have some sentimental value. They may keep one or two of those things. But most of that stuff, they don't want it, guys. Don't spend your life chasing stuff. Chase after what matters in your life. And that can carry over into church life too, if we're not careful. I'm thankful for the work that we're doing in this building. I believe that we need to be good stewards and take care of things when the ceilings are cracking and the carpets are getting bad and sound equipment's not working. There comes a point in time where as much as we hate to spend money, we've got to say, hey, we've got to fix these things. We've got to take care of these things. But let me tell you something. God does not need this building. We need this building. We, unless we're going to sit out in the rain and freeze to death and bake to death in the same day because in Cincinnati you have all those things happen in one day. But we need the building. God does not. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God dwells in here. We're blessed to have this. I'm glad that you guys can sit in a chair and not out on the blacktop. But God does not need this building. And He can take it away just like that. And guess what? If He did, we would still be His church. And we would still be His people. We would be uncomfortable. A lot of people, I'm just going to be honest, a lot of you would go on down the street somewhere else. I hope not. But I'm just being start doing this this week. And I know how it is. Loyalty sometimes is not as deep as you think it is. I hope it is. I hope I'm wrong. But I know, I know myself. I know I like comfort too. And I don't know how long I'd sit out in the rain on the blacktop and listen to somebody, no matter how great they preached or sung. I might say, man, the building down the street's got air conditioning and chairs. I'm heading down there. You know, I'm just being honest with you. I'm thankful we have this building, and I'm thankful that God gives us these things. But this church is for us, 
And this church was given to us by God. It's His. This pulpit is His. This sanctuary is His. The children's church is His. The sound room is His. These instruments are His. I mean, they might belong to you, but you're using them for Him. The lawnmower out there is His. The land is His. All of it's His. And a lot of times we get territorial and say, this is my room. This is my pulpit. This is my kitchen. This is my Sunday school class. This is my area. And we may act like we like people to come into that area, but when they get a little bit too touchy, we say, enough. This is my ministry. You go find something else. And one of the worst things you can do is be territorial in church. Because so many churches have condemned themselves. They don't realize this, but they'll close eventually because no one else on the outside is welcome in. They can say welcome. They can shake your hand and give you a visitor packet and say thankful you're here today. But wait until that person tries to really get involved with something and you'll find out how welcoming people are. This is not your church and it's not my church. We are all part of the body. And I try to encourage all of you, you know this, I hope that that's a testimony you can say is when I go to pastor and try to do something, he's always willing to try to let me get involved. Unless it's absolutely impossible, I have never went to somebody and said, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. I want somebody else to do that. I try my best to get you involved. Now that may not be your gift and your calling, and at time we may have to say, we want you to serve somewhere else if this is outside of what God has for you. But we're never going to say, just sit in the seat and don't do anything. We got somebody to already do that for you. That should never be the case. Serving is what being a believer is about. And we need to serve. Last one, I'm done. Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem as a sacrifice. It was an act of sacrifice. I've already read this, read this verse a few times. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. And He would lay down His life for His friends. The whole purpose, the whole reason Jesus kept His eyes on Jerusalem was because He knew there was a cross there waiting for Him. He knew the reason why He was called. The reason why He came. And the reason why He would go. And that was to that cross. I don't often do this, but it was on my heart all week. You will probably know this song. I sure hope you do, because I don't want to sing it by myself. At the cross. I'm going to sing a couple verses. We'll have them on the screen, hopefully, if this works. Or if not, hopefully you know it. But I want you to, again, today I've said this several times, don't just sing without engaging your mind and your heart. Think about why you're singing. Think about what you're singing. And think about to who you are singing. And let it not just be a noise out of your mouth, but a cry from your heart about what you're saying. Let's sing this song together. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for someone such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. 
Was it for crimes that I have done? He suffered on the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Listen to this last verse. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I want you to think about that as we close. We became believers, if you are one today, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are called now to imitate that sacrificial life by being submissive, by serving, and of course by sacrificing ourselves. The Bible tells us that we are to die daily. It's hard to live for Jesus when you're always in the way. You have got to get yourself out of the way, and the best way to do that is to simply die. Not physically, obviously, but we want to die to the flesh. We want to die to our old desires. We want to die to our motives, and we want to live for Jesus. We want to make sure that everything we do points others to Him and is a life consistent with who He wants us to be. Now again, we're going to fail and fall short, guys. The call of the gospel is not come to Jesus and then try your best to be perfect the rest of your life. Because it's by grace that we are saved through faith and it is by grace through faith that we're kept. And without the Holy Spirit to help us along the way, we are going to fail miserably. But He has given us His Spirit and He has given us His Word and He has given us other believers to help us along the way. And you need all of that. You need the Word to strengthen you. You need the Spirit to guide you. You need other believers to encourage you. There are times when I come in here, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to preach. I don't feel like preaching. But this is bigger than my feelings. God called me to something greater than me. If I only serve God when I feel like it, I'm not going to be very active. And you see that in the life of so many Christians. They only serve, they only get involved when it's convenient. You're living far below what Jesus wants or has for you. When you will sacrifice and surrender, will it get tough? Will you lose friends? Will it divide from certain relationships? Yes, it will. But God always provides something better than what you have. Sometimes we hold on to things so tightly that God doesn't want us to have. And that's why it's such a struggle. We are wrestling and fighting to keep things that God wants us to get rid of. And sometimes that's people. Sometimes that's relationships. And it hurts for a minute because that pruning process, he said it was going to hurt. 
But if He doesn't prune you, you're never going to grow. And when He does prune you, you're going to grow into something much more beautiful than anything you could have ever imagined. I'm going to invite Phyllis to come with Tiffany for our time of invitation. I want to read this little story as we close and kind of bring this all together. It says that a chaplain was ministering to a soldier in the hospital. And the chaplain looked at this man and he said to him, You have lost an arm in this great cause that you've been fighting for. And the soldier looked at him and replied, I didn't lose it. I gave it. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Jesus didn't lose His life. He gave it. He gave it for you. He gave it for me. What have you done with this Jesus? What will you do with this Jesus? Father, we thank You for this Word today. We thank You for what we've felt today through the Holy Spirit. Now I pray, God, that You have Your way in our hearts and our lives in this invitation. Lord, whatever You are calling us to do, that You would give us the faith to step out and be obedient. Even if we don't understand, even if we don't have all the answers, even if we're scared to death, that we would take Your hand and trust that as long as You hold on to us, You'll keep us safe and secure and see us through to the end. As we hear that small voice speaking to our hearts today, softly and tenderly, will we respond? Pray that the answer to that is yes, Lord. We give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.